The mission statement of our church is finding direction by following Jesus, so it is right for us to consider what that means. Beginning February 18th and lasting till Easter, we pastors will offer a Lenten sermon series titled Following. As we observe the season of Lent, a time to consider and confess our sins, let us remember those in the Bible who were faithful in their following, though not always perfect. We also will recall some who followed Jesus only to abandon him, betray him, or persecute him. Join us as we embark on a spiritual journey through Scripture to explore the various paths we tread as followers of Christ. Our mission statement here at Second Presbyterian Church is finding direction by following Jesus. As disciples, we feel like it's our goal to do our best to follow the one we call Lord. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Follow Jesus. But for those of us on the Christian journey, we know it is easier said than done. Following Jesus in a place and at a time that praises power, wealth, and control, it can be one of the most countercultural choices we can make. When we think about the first disciples, sometimes it's easy to assume that their way may have been a little easier. After all, we are 2,000 years removed from the miracles and teachings of Jesus. They got to experience it all firsthand. They saw the water turned into wine, the multitude fed, the sick made well, the dead raised to life. But when we study their stories in the New Testament, we see they wrestled with their own faith every bit as much as we may, perhaps more. Their way was not smooth either. Our first window into following this Lent is the Apostle Peter. Originally called Simon, Peter was a Jewish fisherman. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke imply that he was married and that his brother Andrew was another of the twelve who followed Jesus. Jesus gave Simon Peter his new name, Cephas, Peter, which means rock. In Luke, Peter owns the boat that Jesus uses to preach to the multitudes who were pressing in on him at the lakeshore. Peter and his brother Andrew caught the amazing catch of fish and left it all behind to follow Jesus. 
Peter is the first to call Jesus Messiah. In Matthew, Peter is the only disciple bold enough to get out of the boat and walk toward Jesus on water, but he begins to sink when his faith wavers. In John, at the Last Supper, Peter initially refuses to have Jesus wash his feet, but when Jesus answers, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Peter asked Jesus to wash not only his feet, but his hands and his head as well. Peter was all in. He was the rock. He wanted to live up to that name. He said he would never deny his Lord. And so finally, we come to our first passage from John 18, found on page 876 of your pew Bible. Jesus has just been arrested. Peter cut the ear off the high priest's servant who was with the posse to take Jesus away. And now Peter has followed the guards who carried Jesus to the Sanhedrin. Reading from John 18, beginning with verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was standing outside the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Skipping ahead to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the cock crowed. Now we know what came next. In the morning, Jesus was crucified. He died, and he was buried. And then on the third day, Jesus rose again. What comes next is Peter's opportunity for redemption. The risen Jesus meets Peter on the lakeshore. Peter has denied him three times, and now, three times, Jesus gives him the opportunity to redeem himself. Skipping ahead to John 21 on page 880 of your pew Bible, we find Jesus on the beach with Peter and some of the other disciples beginning with verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, 
and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, Follow me. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. I was intimidated to start middle school. I just moved from an elementary school where I knew everyone to a sixth grade class filled with kids from all over the city. And it was the first time I'd actually really ever met any mean girls. I figured out who they were early on, and I did my best to stay out of their way. Every day after gym class, we'd sit on the bleachers waiting for the bell to ring. It was the worst time of day, free time. These cool, mean girls sat in the back top row of the bleachers, and the rest of us sat and the descending bleachers below. Some of you have heard this story before, but on this particular day, Jennifer was sitting alone down near the front. She was a sweet girl with long, dark, curly hair. Jennifer had Down syndrome, and Jim was the only class we all shared with her. Because she was alone, Jennifer became their target. Slowly, they started to toss little wads of white paper into her thick, curly hair. She didn't notice at first, but my friends and I did. We sat frozen as the girls in the back row started laughing and tossing more and more paper into her hair. It was horrible. I wanted the girls to stop, because surely Jennifer could tell what was happening by now but I didn't know what to do. It was only a moment before my friend Kimberly stood up and marched down the bleacher to Jennifer, sat down right beside her. She put her arm around Jennifer and looked back up at those girls above. Within moments, Kimberly had Jennifer smiling and talking again as she gently picked the tiny wads of white paper out of her curls. When I look back, I feel shame about that moment. Why didn't I stand up right away for my classmate? Why didn't I simply go and sit down beside her? That's all I had to do. What is it that makes us chicken out? Whether we're 11 years old or 41 years old or 81 years old, Why are we afraid to speak up, to live what we claim to believe? What is it that makes us vulnerable to this kind of fear, this paralyzation, the same fear Peter shows on Good Friday? The kind of statements that make us say things like, no, I don't know him, like Peter said in that courtyard that night. I think about this sort of thing. What does it mean for Jesus to deal with people like us, disciples like us, who are so deeply flawed? It's late, and Peter is cold. It's been a long night already. He's fallen asleep in the garden, and here he stands in another garden with the very people, or kinds of people, slaves and guards, who brought Jesus in. 
In John 18, Jesus is on trial inside and finally saying in public who he actually is. Just inside the wall from Peter, he is testifying, I am, while Peter is outside denying, I am not. Jesus is on trial before the high priest and the people who matter. Peter is on trial before slaves, the people who matter the least, and those who can't even bring charges against him or testify against Peter in court. What's the worst that could happen to him? What's the worst that could have happened to me that day in middle school? Those girls could have turned their ire on me, but the bell would ring, and I had friends who were just as loyal as those girls were mean. I have no idea what became of half of them or whatever became of Jennifer. I don't know if she still remembers or even thinks about that day, but I do. When I start to feel proud of myself or judgmental, when I start to get a little too big for my britches, God brings Jennifer to mind. And I remember how I hesitated. I asked myself, how long would it have taken for me to stand up and go be near her? What is it that makes us want to turn away when we're afraid? What is it that we're so afraid of? During the pandemic, George, Rachel, and I had to decide on a time how we would worship online. Should we follow our traditional order of worship? Should we simplify things and cut out a few parts? And then when we reemerged to in-person worship, George, Ben, and I had discussed what was it worth keeping or changing from worship in those days. We wondered whether we ought to get rid of the prayer of confession and the assurance of pardon each week. Was this just some old tradition we didn't want to let go of? Is it confusing to folks? Why do we do it anyway? Now, it's no surprise to you um, that who are sitting here who just did a prayer of confession and heard assurance of pardon that we left it in. We chose to leave it in because confession is an act of truth-telling about who we are in relation to others and to God. John Calvin said that when we confess at the start of worship, it's because we need to acknowledge that there is a God and we are not that God. To consider the story of Peter and Jesus in light of confession and absolution can be dynamic. One follows the other. Confession and absolution, forgiveness, go hand in hand. In John 18, Peter discloses more about himself than we would want to know. I am not, he says, and turns away. Peter's probably telling the truth. In that moment, he doesn't want to believe. He's being honest. Jesus, on the other hand, testifies in the court before the high priest that he has been speaking openly. Nothing is a secret here in John. I am, Jesus says, knowing full well what would await him, knowing full well his friends would desert him. We stand in the role of Peter, a follower coming to terms with who we are, with all our flaws. And that doesn't diminish who Jesus is. 
Perhaps because of the failings of others around him, the promise of life becomes all the more compelling. Peter, the rock. Even for him, following wasn't easy. Three times Peter denies Jesus in John 18. Three times in John 21 on the shores, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Confession and absolution. A rhythm, an equation, a grace that goes hand in hand. Peter's passion scene begins with shame so thick that it makes us cringe. But Jesus doesn't leave Peter there. Jesus doesn't avoid the hard conversation. He doesn't pretend the denials didn't happen or didn't hurt. But Jesus also doesn't preach or condemn. He surrounds the heartbroken disciples with tenderness, inviting him to revisit his shame for the sake of healing and restoration. Do you love me? He asks. Feed my sheep, he says. Peter emerges from his fear and denial. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus knows that we are more than the worst things we have ever done or left undone. He knows we are prone to choosing wrong, and we are prone to shame and self-hatred. He knows how to meet us, to build the fire, to prepare the meal that will heal and restore. In those days after the resurrection, Jesus doesn't waste a moment on retribution. He spends his time feeding, restoring, strengthening his friends. Jesus heals what is wounded. He speaks his disciples' names. He prepares breakfast for his hungry, hurting friends. He focuses on relationship. He focuses on reconciliation. He focuses on love. Peter's shame meets Jesus' grace. As Brene Brown says, shame cannot survive being spoken. When shame encounters the God who is love, love wins. Grace wins. That is the good news of the gospel. Later on in the book of Acts, it is Peter who is the rock. This frightened and fearful disciple is the one who founds churches, welcomes Gentiles, and grafts us into Christ's church. Tradition tells us that though Peter was too afraid to follow Jesus to the cross in Jerusalem, he did follow him all the way to his own cross in Rome. Flawed and imperfect, Jesus saw something more in Peter than he could have ever seen in himself. Peter had to learn to be brave enough to follow. It's that easy. It's that hard. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.